and welcome to Ask the Howlers, a new podcast from VMware, where we interview a variety of cybersecurity experts about the threat landscape, the culture of InfoSec, and our changing workforce. I'm your host, Karen Morstell. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the topics that are top of mind for security leaders and speak with people who are helping to move the industry forward. Let's get to today's conversation. Today, we're discussing findings from VMware's Global Incident Response Threat Report, which we launched at Black Hat in Vegas. My guests today, oh my gosh, are fellow howlers. We have Rick McElroy, Principal Cybersecurity Strategist, and Chad Skipper, Global Security Technologist at VMware, both of them. Rick and Chad, super excited to have you here. Welcome to Ask the Howlers. We worked pretty closely on this latest report, so this should be a great conversation today. Agreed. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for having us. Um, we look forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Sure. Yeah, the energy level always goes up when you two are together. So this is going to, I'm really looking forward to this. So before we jump into the report findings, I'd love to hear your takeaways from uh, Black Hat and DEF CON. Anything new that you learned or things you were surprised by? Um, yeah, I'll take that one first. Uh, Surprising-ish for those of us who follow things, nefarious things specifically. Um, look, I think I, I probably tweeted about it four times. I posted five uh, LinkedIn posts about it. I thought the work that Eclipsium is doing, particular to the firmware issue and firmware security, highlighting that over to Microsoft, hopefully Microsoft responds um, to what they're doing. But um, I think we all have to start to think about detection and prevention from a firmware perspective, after all, it is software. And so um, I'm going to push them and uh, continue to elevate that message because uh, there's some good preventions that are going on there as well. So, Yeah, and I'll, I'll take a, you know, I've always been an artificial intelligence and machine learning, you know, advocate. And, you know, what I've seen this year is um, a lot of the AI and the ML is beginning to mature and go beyond that hop stage because we're beginning to see it really perform around detecting, you know, the anomalous behavior. So with all that telemetry that's coming in, we need to augment the humans. And I'm seeing that uh, more and more across the industry, uh, the, the betterment of utilizing that machine learning and artificial intelligence. And, and, and one of those areas that I found interesting, uh, you, you mentioned Eclipsium, there's, there's new startups out there as well. Hidden Layer being another one that is looking specifically at you know, how threat actors are using ML and by bypassing the ML layer across that defensive, you know, defensive structures. So that was interesting to see the continual involvement of our utilization of artificial intelligence, machine learning. I just thought that very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. So um, let's, let's jump to the report. Um, between, I'll let you both, you know, decide who's going to go first on this, but what's the one finding that jumped out at you as needing to be top of mind for incident responders? Yeah, I'll take this since Rick went first last time. I'll, I'll take this one up first. You know, one of the biggest things that jumped out to me, it comes out of this report, but it also is backed by our own study inside of VMware Texas is really that the lateral movement, lateral security is, is that one of those new battlegrounds in which we're trying to uh, further ourselves in those defensive postures, right? The majority of those respondents witnessed an, you know, an instance of lateral movement, meaning once I gain that initial access, I'm able to island hop, move laterally within your organization. 
they witness that in 25% of their incursions that they're seeing. You know, and on top of that, um, they're using uh, within the common noise of your network, living off the land tools to actually be, to be actually move laterally. And those things are like remote desktop protocol, right? You know, that's that's existent in every network to begin to, to gain that remote access. Other ones are Samba service. Um, other ones uh, pass the hash, right? Over Kerberos is another way that we're seeing these lateral movements. And to top that off, you know, that's 25% that we saw within this within this uh, response. But our own threat telemetry from VMware Contexa in the month of, I think it's uh, April and May, or maybe May and June, but two months um, of all the intrusions that we saw, the threat actor was able to move laterally 44% of the time. So, you know, we are seeing um, once threat actors get in, they're living within the noise and the common protocols and so visibility into that is is critical, and that is something that is that that I found very very uh, you know telling of exactly what's going on once those threat actors get inside the organization. Yeah, you know, um, there was a comment I think that uh, Tom Gillis made at uh, at the RSA keynote that he did that really spoke to the lateral movement being the new battleground, and and uh, it's an interesting it's interesting when we think about it like the. The, the attackers expect us to have micro segmentation in place. So now, you know, the new way around all of that is these trusted channels like you're describing. And, uh, you know, people need to really be paying attention to that. The firewalls aren't the firewalls and the micro segmentation isn't necessarily doing the whole job. Is that, that, that absolutely? I consider that hygiene. You need to reduce that blast radius. Right. And so yeah. we need to segment that out. But once I get access to that segment, Right. What's going on inside of that segment? And also, like you said, you're going to have, you know, uh, protocols or ports that are open between those segments for just management capabilities. Yeah. And threat actors are taking advantage of those and they're hiding within those within those protocols. So interesting enough, you've got to have and take it back to AI. Right. I got to have that artificial intelligence and machine learning to really understand, you know, those yeah. malicious lateral movements, those anomalies, those behaviors that are outside of a normal baseline of how your network actually communicates. Yeah. Yeah. We can't trust our trusted channel. So we need, like, I think what you're saying is the augmented um, intelligence and machine learning in order to help us distinguish friend from foe. Um, that's going to be, that's, that's uh, a big deal. A big deal. Yep. Big deal. Rick, how about you? Yeah. I mean, I've got a couple. Um, you can go look at any of the news that I've put out over the last two weeks about this report. I think people are extremely interested in how um, attackers are actually manipulating um, users inside an environment to get them to do all kinds of stuff. We'll talk about that later. But what I'm really excited about this one, and I think, um, you know, we're one of the only organizations that's going to continue to highlight goodness on the defender side. So uh, not always doing problem admiration, not always thinking about what the adversaries are doing, but what are defenders doing that's working? I was super pleased. 87% of respondents said that they had the ability to interrupt the attacker very often or sometimes. I will take very often or sometimes. Uh, I know we're not in a place where it's 100%, but um, the beginning of my career, it was 256 days. The first presentation I ever gave on dwell time was 256 days. I think we're getting it down to a month. I think some organizations are getting down to the week and the top end organizations that we've seen have that down to minutes. And I think 
that speaks to not only things like MITRE ATT&CK bringing the entire industry together and our defensive tooling being tested against these techniques, tactics, and procedures, um, but also a ton of thought leadership and really pushing forward the boundaries of something like threat hunting and then starting to bring artificial intelligence and um, you know threat hunting into your environment without having humans do that. And so I'm super encouraged about that. You know, you bring up a good, a good point, Rick. Um, also part of that, that, you know, I saw you excited about as well. And same with us is that, you know, they even in, in the respondents said that 75% say they are now deploying virtual patching as that emergency mechanism. And that really goes with um, in, in response to the, the unprecedented amount of unknown or zero day vulnerabilities that we saw this past year as well. So we're seeing more and more of, uh, of the industry go proactively, right? Security virtually patch these vulnerabilities um, and it gives them that stopgap measure in time for them to go from an operation standpoint when they can actually go deploy um, that actual patch on that system that makes sense to their business model. Yeah, it is. I, I'm glad you called that out, um, sure. that we have the ability to see well, we're actually reducing the dwell time and that top end, like literally it's getting down to minutes. That means that the defenders are raising the bar in a huge, huge way. I mean, that's better than a 250x improvement, right? Yeah, so Karen, that, and, I, and I felt it out of the community, especially meeting with people at Black Hat and DEF CON. Um, for a long time, defenders, you know, we hung our head. We had to be 100% right, even though that wasn't true. You know, any one attack, uh, we lose our jobs. I don't think that's the situation um, or the zeitgeist of most organizations. Even now, you see resident CISOs that stay through a breach or some sort of compromise to, to get that vision and strategy in there. But I do think it speaks volumes to um, the work we've done as a defensive community to sort of align ourselves and get together. But I, yeah, we have a bit of our swagger back and it, it makes me feel good as a defender. Well, and it shows what can be done, right? I mean, it's, it's not like, oh, I, I used to hear this a lot, which was, what's the point in us trying? They're going to eat our lunch anyway. I mean, it seems like such a defeatist attitude. But now when you can see that people are actually reducing that dwell time so dramatically, like, okay, now, you know what? This is what's in the realm of possibility. Like, it's turning back into a bit, of, a bit more of a fair fight, right? Yeah. That's exciting. Anything else? Yeah, I actually have, you know, there's another one um, that I found very interesting. And it's also, I, I saw a lot of this movement at Black Hat is around API security. Yeah. Um, you know, and and as we move more to the cloud, to the multi-cloud, to be honest with you, um, the majority of that traffic, and I don't have the statistics with me, but the majority of that traffic is inter-network inter traffic around APIs, API calls. And so we are seeing um, an increase in those attacks that compromise your API's environment. And then this year we saw it at 23% of all the attacks within the organization, they had some type uh, of API instance or an API attack in that. And so as we begin to have modern applications, containers, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of these, um, the threat actors are able to actually get access. And then from there, um, be able to get into, as an example, your payment, your payment app, right? Or your ordering app. And from there, they're making API calls and testing and discovering. And so it's very interesting to see, you know, how that threat actor or how the threat has pivoted 
you know, to some extent into the cloud around those APIs. And the technology there is still the same. It's 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 a different insertion point, right? But it's still being able to have visibility into what those API calls are and provide some type of anomaly detection because it's not always about those signatures. It's about what is unusual occurring inside of the organization. Uh, you know, a rogue API call from one container to another container that never happened before should never happen, right? Those types of things that that need to be uh, yeah. taken a look at. Um, yeah. Business logic, as an example, you know, why am I seeing PII data when I should only be seeing PHI data? So, you know, there's lots of different types of, of, of interesting uh, capabilities here, but I see that uh, more and more, especially at Black Hat, and as we move further into that multi-cloud area, API security is really becoming, you know, that new endpoint because with it, within the cloud operating model, I mean, it, it lives on APIs. So that's another interesting aspect that I thought came out yeah. of this report. Yeah, I think that's a huge thing to um, to really bring out. Um, you know, the, I used to talk about the thousand points of light into our network, and it does seem to me like the API security now is kind of like the multiplier. Um, the, the, all the thousand, thousand, thousand points of light now with API security that we might need to pay more attention to. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big area. I don't think it's getting quite enough attention just yet. That's my impression. Certainly, yeah, I think, but not everybody. Yeah. No, I, I certainly think finance is aware. Um, I think the bell wave is going to hit them first. Frankly speaking, I think um, big tech and, and healthcare are going to go uh, right behind them. Big tech for obvious reasons like SolarWinds, um, leveraging something like your ServiceNow APIs to do all kinds of things because it has access, it's resetting tickets. In fact, I was using ServiceNow um, to facilitate server builds for my environment at, at one point at an organization, right? And so, so again, I think if you're in finance, you should be extremely concerned today. If you're in healthcare and uh, uh, technology, you should be concerned and starting to do those assessments now. But if I had one recommendation around APIs like today, over the next few months, go get an assessment done. You, you're gonna find that you have multiple APIs with the same functionality that aren't being updated. Um, you're gonna find some areas, I think, especially if you're in finance, to drive up your auditability of what's occurring with those APIs and give you a chance to, to catch some of these scams and uh, frauds as they're occurring. Yeah, yep, for sure, for sure. Anything else on the technical side before I jump to the people side? Because I want to, I, I think we have some good news. I think we have a little bit of good news on the people side. Um, and so the report basically said, um, we, you know, we ask people every year about their level of burnout and we're still hovering at about half of the cyber pros experiencing burnout. And of that group, the majority, I think it's well over 60% are still uh, talking about leaving the profession, you know? So we've still got an issue, but it's but there's there's some glimmers of hope. I think uh, you wanna talk a little bit about that, Rick? I know that really means a lot to you too. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've experienced it, I've gone through it. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's a, um, it's a particularly challenging field. You got to continually learn. We're navigating um, extreme, you know, extremes of people who are ingrained in their ways of thinking, and we're trying to switch that up, and we're trying to change culture, and of course, implement all the technology and tune it before the bad guys hit. Right? That's a lot of pressure. Plus, it's a twenty-four-seven job. So I know, specific to the community that we ask in the survey, the incident response teams and the incident um, response firms that are out there responding you know, to these um, big headline breaches, it's tough. I, I talked to one incident responder, you know, while I was off in Vegas, 
he, he's running 15 different cases and the cases range everything from, you know, um, a, a couple that's going through a divorce all the way through um, to, you know, nefarious things that were stolen from a government agency, right? And so uh, the Ukraine has not helped uh, and it's not their fault. Uh, clearly that's the fault of one nation, but I think um, a lot of responders have jumped in to try to volunteer. All of that stuff, it's a real shooting war that, that drives up the, the extreme stress and fatigue. All that being said, I believe organizations are starting to rise to the challenge of it. I believe that the community has started to hear us. You look at the number of mental health talks, the number of um, thought leadership talks around managing burnout and stress for your teams, that has been fantastic to see. Now, the two pieces of, of goodness that I think were reported out of the report is, um, one, paying your people more does nothing for burnout and stress. Um, <laughs> in fact, I think it'll get them to leave the industry faster because I know a whole lot of people who are making a whole lot of money that just mm -hmm. decided to go take another career. Um, secondarily, I would tell you what we directly see from feedback um, is that organizations that put in wellness programs so um, allowing your employees to talk to a counselor, like away from work, that's not associated. Those are all super positive things that I think your organization can do to support the security team. So if it doesn't exist and you're the leader of the security team, go make it exist. Go talk to your HR team because um, your team needs it. Even if they're not expressing it to you, I can guarantee that they're failing it. Yeah. So where we're seeing the wellness, we're seeing it make an impact. Um, and different kinds of instances of that. Some wellness techniques, from what I read and you know the report and some of the feedback, some are more effective than others. So as you say, you know, a bigger paycheck is not a wellness strategy. <laughs> it's not that it necessarily hurts, but it just doesn't. It's not a good retaining factor. Um, yeah, and my fear, Karen, is yeah. um, I am so encouraged. Uh, I think we all talked about this while we we're at Black Hat. The number of people I've met that were 18 months or shorter into a career in cyber was amazing. So I think a lot of people retrained, a lot of people um, quit other jobs, maybe their jobs closed and they decided to jump into cyber. And I'm so excited to have this new group of people. And I mean, it was a massive group. Um, I just wanna make sure that when they hit year five in their career, year 10 and 15, um, that they keep that same enthusiasm and passion. And uh, we do whatever we can as the existing leaders to, to make that better for them. Yeah. Yeah. Chad, any thoughts on that you want to share too? You know, I, you know, we, we talk about this and, I, you know, I like to address those outside of the responders to those that work with responders to give them a little bit of an idea of what these responders are going through. And it's an analogy, right? Think of an air traffic controller, right? These guys are looking at a radar all day long, right? They're trying to, you know, and they have a high stress job. These, it's the high stress component of it, right? Any miscalculation, right? It can, it can be the disaster. Now that's a human disaster, right? But it's still a high stress. The same thing from a security operator, they're looking at many panes of glass, just like a, just like a, you know, any air traffic controller and, and, and they're responding to these incidences and anyone can be turned into a disaster, right? A financial disaster for their company. And so that's the stress mechanism um, that yeah. these guys are under on a daily basis is, you know, what is it? And, and it's always evolving, always changing. So they always have to be on their toes. And it especially hits, and Rick, you and I know this, every Christmas or around the holidays, right? It always hits. I know the last two Christmases, including myself, we've lost because of what? Solar winds. And the year after that was log 4J. Yeah. And so 
you know, they're responding to these things on a continual basis. Now, you'll see the CNN threat and the Fox News threat and the MSSNB threat, but they're dealing, by the time you see it, they've already dealt with it. They've been dealing with it for weeks, maybe months on end. And they're, and they're trying to do this while still their day job, right? Their day job is also ongoing communication within the organization. What other technologies can we deploy out there to give us visibility? So they're in the architecture space as well and the needs and the wants. So it, my, my point being, it is a very high stressful, uh, very high stressful job. And I'm pleased, like Rick said, is we're beginning to see, you know, leaders take that on and understand that and be able to employ some mechanisms to help them reduce that stress and work through those types of things. Yeah. So those are my thoughts coming yeah. from that. Area. You know, you use a metaphor I've used before, which is the air traffic controller. Yeah. And with this new um, situation that we're seeing where the trusted channels now are the ones that are infiltrated. If I were to use that air traffic controller analogy, tell me if I'm, tell me if this is on point, but, Right now, all of the planes have identifiers like this is this is a real plane. This is a real plane. This is the type of plane it is. You can see that pretty clearly, even though there might be a lot of traffic to keep track of. What if we had incoming missiles or whatever, you know, unfriendlies that were flying our uh, skies and they were identifying themselves as trusted traffic like that? Think about that. That is what the current people in cyber are dealing with is, is this friend or foe? I can't, I might not have the data to tell me that. And, and I know we're working on that really hard at VMware to make sure that people have that full context and visibility so that you can. Calling credentials as an example, right? Is yeah. this, you know, is this session um, you know, is this a legitimate session or is this a session from a pass the hash over Kerberos, right. stolen credential, these tops? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Are they are they using the, 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 the living off the land and the ports and protocols within my normal activity maliciously? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think um, it's interesting. Right. Because last year's report, really, we, what we talked about is like how the adversaries were manipulating the digital reality inside of an environment itself. Um, so you heard us talk about Kronos attacks and, and attacks on time, um, specific to doing things like defensive evasion. Well, now they've automated it and it, it just occurs um, automatically, right? So they've taken some of these manual techniques, they've learned from them, they put them in. But more interestingly, last year, um, we also highlighted that like deepfakes were starting to be used as part of an attack chain. Again, um, yeah. making us question the reality of who we're talking to. You know, is that the right person? Is that is the system lying to me? Do I have the right logs off that system? How can I provide assurance over right. all of those things? And and um, you know, in and manifesting in what we refer to as business um, communication compromise, right? So I have credentials. I'm now in Slack teams. Um, you know, we're seeing um, adversaries replace invoices inside of inboxes. So you get a legit invoice. Your team, your your team's job is to pay that invoice. I'm the adversary. I swap it in in real time and you pay my nefarious invoice, again, um, showing the true manipulation that these adversaries are actually doing inside of the environment, both digitally and then to the humans to make us question this reality. And so I do think you're right, Karen, that at some point, we're gonna have to figure out how to have continual um, verification of that identity and carry that continual identification through whatever the downstream process is or access to another system is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I guess the I guess the motto for the day is question everything. It's mine. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I say it all the time, but I I I kind of mean it sarcastically, but I don't. It's really hard for regular people who use the internet to even determine what's being surfaced to them. And then it's yeah. magnified inside of an organization because they may be in a role that allows them access to click a button that transfers money or um, reset a password or um, allow for something like, um, you know, MFA bypass by um, granting access to a new system, you know, and, and giving them a certificate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or certificate request overkill where they finally hit yes after so many times of hitting no, just go away, right? Just click it to go away. And then all of a sudden you're compromised. Yep. So I want to, for everyone who's listening uh, here live on LinkedIn, I'd love for you to post your questions. If you have any questions for us, I know we're covering a lot of stuff here and we're going through it pretty quickly. Um, but the, you know, this is the opportunity to ask callers a li live question, see what we can do with that. And if you are listening to this um, later when it's on the podcast, I would love to hear from you if you're part of the community of uh, cyber responders in any capacity and you are seeing improvements in the way that we're um, addressing the human need uh, for connection and stress reduction and all of those other things that are going along with uh, this very hard work that everyone's doing. I would love to hear what's working. I would love to, it's fine to also tell us what's not working, but um, I would love to hear more about what you think is going well. Um, and uh, yeah, to the, to, uh, let's see, what else? Deep fakes. We covered the deep fakes. We covered the APIs. What are and, we no and not surprising, right? 60% of the respondents had some type of compromise, call it ransomware whether it's business yeah. email compromise or whether it is a, I click on a link and get compromised or, you know, whether it is, you know, I have an Excel document that I enable a macro because I'm used to enabling macros because that's my job compromise. Uh, but we've seen an instantiation of further ransomware, but it's not just the end game of ransoming the device. It's also before I ransom, I want to exfiltrate data which then incurs this double, double, uh, double extortion activity that we're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ransomware. I, I got a little mini, mini Rick rants on ransomware. Um, I think it's simultaneously the best thing that's ever happened to the security industry and the worst thing that's ever happened. And I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on both. I think it was the best thing because if you look at the investment in cybersecurity post the ransomware era, so what the FBI referred to as the year ransomware 2016, uh, I would um, generally call that the dawn of the era of ransomware, but it's fine. We had to call it something. Um, an enormous amount of time and focus has been put on ransomware. Now, that being said, I think too much time and focus is on ransomware. Um, if it's not an, a nation state attack right now, um, it's not going to bubble up to the headlines unless it's got bees on your ransomware, right? So now it's noise. Uh, the, the media is treating it as noise. And I think the focus on specifically preventing ransomware um, has left some programs in a, um, a suboptimal state. I think more importantly, mm -hmm. uh, and we talk about this all the time, Karen and Chad, is like, what are the techniques and the common grouping of those techniques that all these attacks do? Whether it's um, a crew that bought access to your network off the dark web now has access via some version of credentials to Chad's point, they're laterally moving around your environment and they, they, they then they decide to steal data and, and ransom you publicly. Like they're not going to ransom your system. They're just going to sell it 
um, for bid on the dark web and, and hopefully you pay for that, right? Like that's what we see the adversaries doing, but the commonalities there, lateral movement and credential harvesting. So yeah. if, if we can abstract those down to, um, you know, strategies and tactics to look at a strategy to say, how in depth can I get around lateral movement? What are the types of lateral movement that the adversary could do in my environment? What are the defenses I need to put in there? And then tune those defenses against lateral movement or against credential harvesting. I think we'll have a better overall shot than if we holistically focus on ransomware and I can stop ransomware 100% of my environment, but lateral movement and credential start harvesting still occurs. Yeah. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, it, yeah. It, we always run the risk. And I, I've seen this happen over many years is um, we get the latest concern du jour. Like this is, we're going to get all the attention focused on ransomware for a while, but it's to the, it's to the detriment necessarily of the bigger picture and the, and the narrative that talks about holistic security as, as opposed to point solutions. Right. So go ahead. Yeah. So ransomware is the boom, right. And, And so there's a lot that we call left of boom that that threat actor is doing inside of that organization before he pulls the trigger on the ransomware. And that visibility there enables you to be able, you know, to, to prevent it or reduce the dwell time, reduce actually getting toward the boom because exfiltration is happening before the boom. Yeah. Right. It's that that's exactly what's happening. Right. 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 The ransomware, I'm outing myself if I'm going to yeah, go. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't want to draw any attention because I got lots of work to do and lots of things to discover. I'll do that for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then we'll hit with the ransomware after the fact. Um, yeah. Yeah. They. It's the one piece of malware that wants you to know that it's running. It's, right. <laughs> be, it's not the only one, but it's, it, you know, as a category of ransomware of, of malware families, I think yeah. it's the one where it's like, it's going to let you know. Like yeah. if you didn't detect it sooner. Yeah. yeah and and yeah. to Chad's point, it's those opportunities. Yeah. You know, those exactly. three or four opportunities, network layer, right? Mo- making sure that you have MFA installed and well managed, you know, lateral uh, movement and at least yeah. being able to detect. Maybe you can't stop it, but at least you've got a, a few opportunities there up front before that payload explodes. Yeah. 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 Take advantage of the holistic set of tools that will let us monitor the monitor the entire environment, as, including proactively monitor configuration and settings and all of that automation that will help us put things out there in a way that's going to keep us from getting, getting pawned. Right. Um, One thing I just wanted to comment on, and I just, from my own experience, walking around talking to people at black hat, which was amazing is um, I honestly think that the community of cybersecurity people is stepping up to the plate to take care of each other. And uh, I talked about this a few years ago, but, um, uh, you know, one of the things that really works, yes, company programs are are very helpful, but I've seen a trend and st- we still have our arguments within the cyber community and, uh, you know, a fair amount of that going on right now. But I think one, one of the things that we do see is people helping each other and uh, stepping up for each other in such a big way, you know, mental health hackers, um, uh, a variety of other groups that uh, are are speaking to what do we have to do to, you know, to have each other's back. So I think that's another really great uh, trend that's going no, on. It was, a, it was a really cool, I mean, I hadn't seen people in three years, some of the people that I saw, and uh, the conversation was different 
there was a lot of conversations around what are you doing to take care of yourself? Yeah. You know, what, what are yeah, you yeah. doing? Not, not in security. Whereas like, I would say like my first DEF CON when I went to seven, it was, what are you doing in security? What's your latest code? What's the latest hack? Right. Um, I, I don't necessarily, I mean, that's still part of the community. Um, but I was encouraged and look, I had um, a group of really good friends, like pull me out of a, uh, I was really tiffed one night. And so I can only say that if you have good friends in this community and they yeah. actually are concerned with you, they will actually take care of you. Even if you protest upon them, trying to take care of you. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I have some amazing people that care about you. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and, and looking at the past, what it's 25 year anniversary of black hat. You look at all the years that you've gone to there, you know, and, you know, you might only see, you know, you talk or see these, you know, former, you know, cohorts in arms, right? Uh, once a year, um, might be at RSA, it might be, you know, Black Hat, it might be regional areas, but I think it's the community. It's been the community that's been strong and it's getting stronger. Um, and those relationships are key, right? It's yeah. it's the relationship and the bonding there. Yeah. Uh, Rick's right. You know, I can pick up the phone and, and call, you know, a handful of folks and, you know, they'll all jump up and say, look, I know I don't work for the company, but here's what I know. Here's what we dealt with. Right. Use these types of techniques and tactics to, to, yeah. to be able to detect. So it, it, it's really a, I've seen this over the years, um, a, a community of, uh, you know, folks on the front lines when it comes to cybersecurity. Hey, I've been there, buddy. And, and let me show you the tools that I developed that might help you in, in, in your in your circumstance, because it happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's the best place to work, I still say. Yep. yep. Uh, and it's great to have great friends by both of you and to work in the community together. So as always, it's been a huge pleasure to um, share the stage with you and uh, talk on LinkedIn Live. Um, we've dropped a, a link to download the Global Incident Response Threat Report if you're interested. It's in the comments, so be sure to give it a read and let us know what you think. And thanks, everyone. Thank you. Stay awesome. Thanks, everyone. That's all we have for this episode of Ask the Howlers. Thanks for joining us today. You can watch the video live stream of this conversation on the VMware Carbon Block LinkedIn and YouTube channels. We look forward to seeing you next time.